This podcast is brought to you by the Kansas Hospital Association. Hello there and welcome to Plain Spoken, a podcast produced by the Kansas Hospital Association. I am Shannon Flock and I will be your host for today's episode. I am so excited to be hosting today's discussion around the topic of insurance denials, specifically prior authorizations. And I'm pleased to have joining me today two individuals, Dr. Dan Sanchez, who serves as the family practice physician at Post Rock Family Medicine and Rooks County Health Center in Plainville, Kansas, and Ron Campbell, who serves as the director of clinic revenue cycle at Stormont Vale Health here in Topeka, Kansas. Welcome today to our discussion, and we are grateful you are able to join me. KHA realizes the hospitals are feeling frustration around the many processes related to seeking a prior authorization from a health insurance payer. The stories tend to show a pattern of negative patient health outcomes. Ron, to start us out with today's discussion, can you educate our listeners on what exactly is a prior authorization? Happy to. Thanks, Shannon. So a prior authorization is a requirement from your health insurance company that your doctor or hospital obtain approval from your health plan before the plan will cover costs of a specific medicine or procedure or test based on the health plan's determination whether those medicines, procedures, or tests are medically necessary per their policy guidelines. Those guidelines will include things like how your doctor wants to treat you, the location the doctor wants to treat you in, your diagnosis, your medical history, and things like that. Thanks, Ron, for setting that stage around today's topic. You had mentioned in your definition that prior authorizations give the insurance company a chance to review the necessity of a medical treatment or test. Dr. Sanchez, can you elaborate more on initially what the intention of prior authorizations was by the insurance companies and how it has evolved into the process we have today? And is it really serving the same purpose? Prior authorizations were originally intended to reduce the cost of healthcare by avoiding unnecessary tests, medications, surgeries, things like that. As time passed and the wheels of capitalism have turned, it's become a way for insurance companies not only to reduce cost, but also to increase profits. And unfortunately, the cost of reducing is reducing access to care. Uh, An example of waste might be doing an MRI for an injured hand, uh, which in most instances could be evaluated with just a plain x-ray. An example of reducing access to care uh, would be denying a brain MRI for a patient uh, that's having severe headaches, uh, and we don't know why. uh, that makes a difference because identifying a tumor or bleed or infection can make a huge difference for that patient. Dr. Sanchez, what are the top three pain points around denials of prior authorizations that you've seen in your organization or practice? How much time do you have? Uh, seriously, uh, I, I would say the first pain point is just the high percentage of first pass denials. So it's been my observation that most physicians order tests for the right reasons at the right time, but all too often the insurance companies seem to make that process very difficult and uh, makes it hard for patients uh, to get those tests done. And very often doctors' offices and patients will just give up 
because of that initial denial and not really understanding why. A second pain point is um, lack of information sharing from the insurance companies. Uh, most doctors try to use medical testing and perform prescribing in a responsible manner, but insurance companies use a variety of resources for determining if a test or medication is necessary. It's a, a crib sheet, if you will. Um, there are certain boxes that have to be checked off to grant the prior authorizations. They have the list, we don't. And so it's a little bit of guesswork to figure out how to get my patient the resource they need. Uh, for example, I requested a spine MRI on a woman who was having severe back pain who had a history of breast cancer. The first request, which is often processed by a, a non-healthcare professional or might be someone, um, say a nurse, uh, was denied as unnecessary. Uh, I appealed that denial uh, and requested a doctor-to-doctor -doctor call, what we sometimes call a peer-to-peer -peer review. And when the reviewing physician heard the reason, he said, well, I guess she needs that MRI. So it wasted my time, my nurse's time, and a series of phone calls to request that appeal and schedule something that basically any physician knows is the right thing to do. And, and the final pain point uh, is uh, medication prior authorizations. This is probably our most frequent source of frustration. Uh, most of us understand and want to reduce cost. That's fine, but the process should be as e easy to navigate as possible. Uh, we receive medication denial several times a week, indicating a medication is not covered, and then no information is given as to an alternative that would be covered. So it, it wouldn't be hard for an insurer just to simply list the covered alternatives, yet so often this doesn't happen. Those are great examples, Dr. Sanchez. Ron, to follow up on that, you've seen the evolution of the prior authorization process. Can you describe and give a few examples of how the prior authorization process has impacted patient care? Absolutely. So, you know, over time as the process has evolved, it's grown where, to where more and more payers are requesting prior authorizations and they're requesting them for a larger and more diverse group of treatments every day. Everything from hospital admissions to cancer treatments, basic imaging like x-rays and MRIs, and even something as simple as a consult with a specialist may now require prior authorization. You know, we, we really try to do everything that we can to make sure that the process never impacts patient care, but that's, that's really impossible to do. You know, whether it's delays in treatment or changes in treatment plans, prior authorization requirements impact patients' treatments far too often than they should. And, you know, there's a lot of examples I could probably put on a table, a couple that, uh, a couple that come to mind. You know, we, we worked with a patient who was over a month into receiving cancer treatment, and her insurance company changed the prior authorization requirements for this treatment midway through the treatment process. So all of a sudden, you have a patient who's been receiving treatment that had been approved, and now the insurance company has put a new process in place that didn't exist when the treatment process began. And we've called this to the insurance company's attention, and they've admitted, well, obviously, that's a problem. They've committed to looking at it, but they haven't fixed anything yet, and we're, and we're hoping that they do. But as the provider, it puts us in a really untenable position because obviously we're not going to stop treatment for that patient. That would be unethical and inappropriate to do. But it puts us in a bad situation. It puts enormous stress on a patient who's already going through cancer treatment and doesn't need one more burden to have to deal with. And this is not something that's uncommon, unfortunately. 
another example, I, I, I suppose, would be when we look at hospital admissions. You know, there are some carriers who require that we prior auth an admission before the patient's admitted to the hospital. Now, on the surface, like with an elective surgery, that sounds really upfront and easy, and it's not that difficult of a thing. It's time-consuming, but it's pretty straightforward. The problem is when you have an emergency admission where we have to go in after the fact and get prior authorization approved, we're already in the situation where the patient's been approved to the hospital. We're obviously not going to turn someone away who comes in emergently. And then we're fighting with insurance companies for weeks or months on end trying to get an admission approved that eventually everyone usually comes to the point of agreeing, yes, it was necessary, but the enormous burden and cost that goes through to our organization and other organizations like ours and providers dramatically increase our cost of care. You know, we've seen situations where, again, as, as Dr. Sanchez pointed out, where we've brought situations to the insurance companies where we know that it's going to be approved, but it requires multiple steps to jump through. And as you look at what a patient's dealing with, if it's an emergent admission, we don't have a choice. We've got to admit the patient, even though the, the, the admission has, the denial has already come through on the prior authorization. And we have no choice but to do so because medically, we don't want to stop treatment on a patient where it's a life or death threatening situation. And unfortunately, hospitals and doctors are, are faced with these challenges every day. So let's go ahead and stay on the subject of patient care, patient safety in our discussion. Dr. Sanchez, the time-consuming process used in prior authorization programs burdened physicians and seemed to divert valuable resources away from direct patient care. Have you seen harmful delays or denials in patients receiving the care they need? Yeah, I have a, a patient with severe asthma who's given me permission to share their story um, she's tried and failed numerous medications. Uh, newer treatments have proven really beneficial to her and has allowed her to continue to work, have a productive life, and really significantly contribute to society. Uh, when single medication treatments began to fail, dual medications were tried in that same class with actually great success. Uh, our care team, which included a, a lung specialist and an allergy immunology doctor, both which are experts in their field and leaders in our state uh, advocated for this treatment and uh, were very supportive of it. It took months and three appeals to get the prior authorization approved last year. Uh, this year, we've lost all appeals and hours and hours of staff and three physicians' time. Her lung function is not as good as it was on this treatment, and her quality of life has suffered. If this trend continues, we've actually talked about the fact that she may have to go into early retirement for medical reasons. Okay. On top of that, at times through many hours of fighting over and over through the series of appeals to get the patient the test and treatment they need, you may prevail. How often are you lucky enough to finally get an approval? And can you describe that grueling process? Well, on medications, we're making some headway, uh, and uh, this is for more common things like a, a diabetes or blood pressure or arthritis medication. Uh, the pharmacy management contractors are becoming more transparent about the process. Uh, for example, they may give us a form that we can fill out online, and, and they allow us to see whether or not criteria are met, uh, which is resulting in more 
frequent uh, referral, or I'm sorry, approvals. Um, we still have a long ways to go with specialty pharmacies uh, for treating conditions like asthma that we mentioned, uh, joint conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, and a number of intestinal disorders. Uh, it's really frustrating when you get on the phone with someone who has no medical expertise, is going through a checklist that I can't see. Uh, we desperately need to be completely transparent uh, in this process so that we know uh, the hoops that we're having to jump through. Uh, the same can be said of imaging prior authorizations, which are equally frustrating for all of the same reasons. Uh, we see dozens of cases every week that are requiring review and documentation over and over. And, and that's over and above all of the documentation we have to do uh, for direct patient care. In other words, our progress notes and reviewing those test results and calling those patients and discussing those results. Now, you put a dozen forms on a doctor's desk that require rewriting that patient's history, uh, treatments and justification for that request. And as you can imagine, sometimes we just blow out the candle and go to bed or we go home and spend some time with our families uh, because there's just not enough hours in the day to do this administrative work over and above you know, the many hours we spent in, in uh, direct patient care. Uh, for example, in this case, we uh, just spoke about a moment ago. It took me 30 minutes on the phone. Uh, I got transferred two times uh, within the pharmacy management contractor before I got the staff member who could schedule the call for the doctor-to-doctor peer-to-peer review. And then it was another 30 minutes on a different day to discuss the case. So that's five hours on one case because there was four hours of time uh, prepping the records, doing the research, and being ready to give the justification for that. Uh, my staff easily spent another four hours during that same time period uh, coordinating with the specialist office, requesting records, keeping them updated on our progress so we didn't duplicate uh, efforts. And then that same peer reviewer subsequently spent time on the phone with the pulmonologist and the allergist. So the amount of time spent on paperwork and on the phone uh, just comes as uh, at an unbelievable cost. So Ron, Dr. Sanchez um, gave us an idea there of the amount of time him and his staff have to put into prior authorizations. From your point of view, can you kind of tell us the amount of time that you and your staff spend on prior authorizations? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we've got an entire department that is now dedicated exclusively to this process of prior authorizations. And that department has tripled in size over the last eight years. And that doesn't include all of the nursing staff and physicians who are also being pulled away from patient care to have to shepherd these individual requests through because as Dr. Sanchez has mentioned, Many times they require peer-to-peer -peer reviews and other things to get past denials and to successfully navigate and appeal through the system. What you find with insurance companies in this process is an enormous lack of, an enormous lack of consistency as you go through it. Some uh, insurance companies will use a website-based process. And while that's easier on the surface, with an individual insurance company, you may have multiple different websites that you have to go to, one website for imaging, one website for everything else. You have to do an enormous amount of background work before you get to the point of getting to the website. So you have all your ducks in a row and you know all the boxes that have to be checked and all the information that's gonna to have to be required. 
there are no national standards so that we could simply upload records and fill in these fields. You know, we've got national standards when it relates to things like claims, where everybody talks the same language, and when we upload a claim, it's the same language across the board. That's something that's easily accomplished by the insurance industry. They're already doing it with other things, but there's no such effort that's been made as it relates to prior authorization. So everything, whether it's via website, whether it's over the phone, or whether it's via fax, has to be done manually, which eats up an enormous amount of time. Even if you're on a website, it may take you five to 10 minutes on the website in the best case scenario, not counting all the background work that you did to get there, but it also may take you hours of time to do that, and you never know what you're gonna run into. If you're stuck on the phone, which is the worst of all scenarios, uh, we've seen any, anywhere from over six hours in, at times to get one prior authorization approved to move through. And the cost that we bear in terms of doing that is taking away from resources that we need to be able to provide patient care to other patients throughout our health systems. Uh, we've got one insurance company that is now offering a paid website that you can go to for a fee that will get you off the phone and their hold times are some of the worst in the industry. We routinely spend six hours at a time for one prior auth with them, but now they're offering us a paid service to go through a website to get off of the phone, which they've made almost untenable. So it, it creates a, an enormous burden on the patient and on the provider. And when you pile all that up, the time involved in doing it, and then the time involved from the standpoint of waiting for a decision. You know, I'd love to say that when you get on the phone or you go on the website, you immediately get the decision. Most insurance companies reserve the right for up to 15 days to make a decision. And while they can move faster than that, sometimes they don't. And so again, you're looking at issues where you've got to jump through hoops as fast as you can trying to approve things so that you're not delaying patient care to give the insurance company, in some cases, up to 15 business days to make a decision on something that otherwise should easily be done and, and approved and moved through. So it, uh, it takes an enormous toll on everybody. So I would assume that the fact that all insurance payers have their own set of rules around prior authorizations makes it even more difficult. Do coverage policies change constantly with each insurance and how do you determine with each patient? Yeah, unfortunately, it's a great question. Unfortunately, they do. Um, each insurance company has their own guidelines, their own policies, and unfortunately, they, uh, they change those policies as often as they like. You know, we've seen as frequently as weekly changes come through from some of our major payers. Others might update quarterly or weekly or uh, even daily, depending on what we see come through. So, yeah, it, it makes it nearly impossible for our staff to try to keep up with changes as they come through from an enormous number of payers, each with their own guidelines. It just makes training and preparation and following the rules that we're expected to follow nearly impossible as we go forward. Dr. Sanchez, today we described a significant amount of resources that are, are used to obtain each and every one of these authorizations. The story from the insurance payers are that the prior authorization process cuts down on unnecessary tests and treatments. In your perception, do you believe it is lowering the cost of healthcare in the U.S.? Well, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, of course it does. It, it's the ethical issue of 
the fact that it leads to rationing of care, meaning that not everyone who needs a medication test or procedure will get that resource. Uh, if an insurance company tightens down and narrows that gate that people can walk through, fewer people are going to get the care they need. An insurance company, uh, at the end of the day, saves a lot of money. Um, but there has to be a, a, a balance. That's where the rub is, is that, um, you know, if I'm in a, a resource limited environment and I've done that, I've been, you know, over in third world countries, you make do with what you have, but that's not the case here. It, it's the difficult but true answer is that we need to identify and cut the waste. And we talked about practices that are wasteful. But too often the insurance companies uh, are throwing out the baby with the bathwater and making it difficult for every single person to have access to that care. Uh, for example, our largest insurance, they're you know, sort of these national giants, will just pretty much uniformly uh, require that a test like an MRI has to have a prior authorization regardless of the diagnosis. And that's just a huge waste of time and resources. To wrap up our topic discussion for the day, Dr. Sanchez, what do you wish patients knew about prior authorizations and how it complicates the decision making as a physician? Well, first of all, you know, I'm really sorry for them that at times it can make them feel hopeless, defeated, or even angry. Um, but they need to know that many, many uh, healthcare providers, institutional, as we've had represented today, and, and their physicians and nurses uh, spend countless hours trying to get this process done. We're filling out that paperwork. We're making phone calls on their behalf so that they can get the care that they need. Now, they can partner with us by contacting the insurance companies uh, themselves and advocating for their need. I'm going to pick on my dad here who um, opted for a, a, a Medicare Advantage program uh, this year and ended up having to have some procedures done. And in Western Kansas, the vast majority of our geographic area is rural. And, you know, these insurance giants don't have contracts in these rural areas. So in addition to the efforts made by the hospital, he actually made his own phone calls and talked to people and wrote letters. And at the end of the day, finally prevailed. And I, I don't know that it would have happened without his own efforts. So don't be afraid to call and advocate on your own behalf. And, and finally, I think just, um, it goes a long ways when somebody takes five minutes and expresses their appreciation and doesn't take this all for granted. Um, because sometimes we get our heads down and think too much of this being work when really on the other side of that paperwork is a living human being who needs that care. And when, when you talk to us and you express your appreciation, it reminds us that, uh, that you're there and this is why we're doing it. I truly want to thank our two speakers today on our Plain Spoken podcast hosted by the Kansas Hospital Association. It has truly been a pleasure to speak with you both about a very important issue that affects patient care on a daily basis. So to end, I would like to thank our listeners for joining us on today's episode, and we will see you next time on Plain Spoken. For more information on Kansas health issues, go to kha-net.org.